0: Sometimes when our lives are running smoothly and comfortably, we switch off, we, we sort of lull ourselves into a state of sleep. So we need challenges and crises to, to wake us up sometimes. We need challenges and crises to burrow down into ourselves and find our deep resources of resilience and
1: inner confidence. Do you get a sense sometimes that you are living inside a dream, one that you just want to wake up from? Well, I talk about being awake on this show quite a lot, and I cannot express to you how life-changing it can be on so many levels. Now, I'm not proclaiming that I am fully awake, it's something that I am still exploring myself. But what does waking up actually mean? Well, today I have psychologist and author of, an amazing 14 books on psychology and spirituality, which are highly endorsed by Eckhart Tolle. His books include The Leap, Waking from Sleep, Extraordinary Wakenings, and his brand new book, Disconnected. And welcome, Steve Taylor. Hi, Paul. Great to be with you. Uh, I'm so happy you are here. So, um, do you know, we've got a number of books we could actually talk about. You're the author, is it? Is there 14 books? 14, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, that, that is quite a feat. Um but there seems to be a theme of waking up. So I'd like to start there about what does waking up actually mean? Is this a spiritual term or does it relate to something else?
0: It, it, it is expressed through spirituality, but, but I'm, a, I'm a psychologist, so I like to hmm. interpret spirituality through a psychological perspective. So you, you can actually look at it in separation from spiritual traditions. But it's basically well. I think it all stems from my my feeling, which I always had when I was younger, and which I still have now. That human awareness, normal human awareness, is quite limited, and obviously it varies to some degree. But the the state of awareness which most people experience is quite narrow. You know, it's quite kind of egocentric, and it it gives us a a fairly narrow perspective on reality. But there are certain moments when our awareness seems to seems to expand and intensify. Um, I I call those awakening experiences and I, I used to have them myself when I was, when I was a teenager, initially, you know, I'd sort of have these moments when my awareness would seem to intensify, things would become more real. I'd feel a sense of connection to my surroundings, things would look more beautiful and everything seemed to be sort of in harmony. And, you know, it seemed to me that my awareness was expanding and intensifying, and you know, I became a psychologist partly because I wanted to understand these experiences and and why they occur.
1: Oh wow, that's so. You were how old were you when you were ex- experiencing this sort of connected with your surroundings? How what, what age were you?
0: Probably about sixteen when it began, and uh, obviously, I didn't really understand what was happening. I thought I was crazy at the time. Yeah. You know, I thought it was, it was kind of more evidence that there was something wrong with me and. <laughs> Okay. I would never be able to fit into the the into normal society.
1: And did you ask people around you um, oh, I've experienced this. Has anyone else experienced this? Did you explore it with anyone else? No. No, because I, I, I sort of understood intuitively
0: that people wouldn't understand that my parents would not have understood. They would have probably I mean, they they I was quite an unusual teenager. I was incredibly quiet. Um I was kind of quite withdrawn and introverted. So my parents were already sort of a bit worried about me. So I I sensed that if I told my parents, they'd send me to see a psychiatrist. Uh, And yeah, I just had a feeling that, you know, people would not understand the experiences. And so I kept them, kept them to myself. And I didn't really understand them until I was in my early 20s when I discovered books on mysticism and spirituality. And I recognized that other people had, had had these experiences, too.
1: Yeah. Do you know, I was um, going back to the spiritual side of things. I was reading through some of your essays on your website. There's so much information there for people. And in one of the articles, you said you were an atheist. Um, Is that correct? Or uh, so is that something changed at all? Is there an evolution?
0: (laughs) No, no. Obviously, it depends on how you how you define the term atheist. Mm. But I I don't believe in a a personal God. I am not religious. I'm not. Okay. I don't adhere to any religion, but I I would call myself spiritual. There's this term "spiritual but not religious." That would how I that's how I would describe myself. So, but I'm I'm not a materialist. I don't believe that the the physical material world is the ultimate reality, and I don't believe you can explain human experience in in purely physical terms. I believe that there is, you know, there's more to the universe than we we understand or or, Mm. or or are aware of.
1: Yeah, I think that's just a, a great answer. So because there's, there's this weird spiritual shaming. I, I speak to a few guests and everyone says, oh, yeah, it's a bit woo-woo. And, you know, almost like it's a, almost like an apologetic, oh, I believe in this. And it's slightly embarrassing. And, and I, I think I've done it myself. You know, it's, uh, I had a spiritual awakening when I was younger. Then I threw everything out, the, you know, I threw everything out and went atheist. Um, and I would say that I've had another spiritual awakening over the past few years. So it's been, it's been quite the journey. Um, but it's, it's the term spiritual seems to have that embarrassing, that sort of slightly embarrassing connection to it.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, it's, it's quite a nebulous term. Nobody really understands mm. what it refers to. Uh, <laughs> and it does have this association with, with woo. But I mean, mm. but to me, spiritual what it, what it means is um, connections to be spiritual means to or to, to have a spiritual experience means to become connected to other human beings to towards nature, even to your own deeper self. It means to expand your awareness and and to transcend separation and you know I think I think a lot of people I think the problem is a lot of people associate the term spiritual with religion. a lot of re- religious people mm. use the term spiritual with yeah. a religious meaning. You hear it all the time on Thought for the Day on Radio 4, you know, with the various religious um, leaders. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, of course, but but it's not what I, I, I mean by spiritual. Spiritual has nothing to do to do with religion, you know. It often, it sometimes overlaps with the religion. Religious people are sometimes quite spiritual. Uh, but sometimes religious people are not spiritual at all. And sometimes non-religious people are very spiritual uh, when you know, I, you know, I would put myself in that category. You know, I'm non-religious, mm. but I'm but I'm spiritual. I I believe that, you know, there is some form of, some kind of spiritual force in the universe. Not not a personal force, but there's some sort of ground reality in the universe of a kind of spiritual nature, which expresses itself through us and and in our actions.
1: Yeah, and going on that. This, i would say that this has probably come from your experiences with that spiritual force what's what's it what's it been like for you well um to me i mean obviously
0: it depends on your state of consciousness there, there are certain states of consciousness where you you can sort of well it's you know, it, these things are quite difficult to describe, but but you can sort of perceive aspects of some sort of spiritual force in the world. I mean, the, the traditional, the most sort of um, essential aspect of spiritual experiences or mystical experiences is a feeling of oneness, a sense that yeah. things are not really separate. Things are in some way interdependent, not in a kind of, um, you know, psychological or abstract sense, but in a real tangible sense, everything is interconnected everything seems to be the manifestation of something more fundamental and um you know every every mystical experiences features that realization and that and, and that includes our own being that we feel that we are not separate we are part of this wider reality and uh, you know we are one essentially one with all things we are one with, with the universe and, you, mm-hmm. and that is a tangible reality In in my sort of highest most awakened moments I have experienced that I've experienced, you know, an awareness that the essence of my own being, the kind of spiritual essence, or you could call it consciousness. It's one with uh, the consciousness of of the world or the universe. Essentially they stem from the same source.
1: I think that's such a beautiful answer in regards to what, you know, what spirituality is and, and what the awakened experience can feel like. Um, I've experienced very similar during meditation. Is it it during meditation mm -hmm. that you'd experience something like that or is there another practice? Yeah, I mean there
0: there are are obviously different varieties of awakening experiences or mystical experiences and sometimes uh, people who study these experiences make a distinction between what they call extroverted experiences which are experiences of oneness with nature or experiences Mm -hmm. in which all natural things or even man-made things seem to be interlinked and seem to be full of spirit or consciousness. But there are also what people call introverted experiences, which usually occur in meditation when your eyes are closed and you're kind of um, exploring your own consciousness and your mind becomes very quiet and your whole being seems to settle into a feeling of calmness and serenity. And then then, then you, can feel, you can get the same feeling in an inward sense, a feeling that, you know, you you are aware of a source of consciousness, a fundamental consciousness which expresses itself in your own being, but actually expresses itself everywhere. So yeah, so there's a feeling of oneness in a more kind
1: of um, formless sense. It it does. I remember the experiences I've had. I've had them in meditation, and I've had them. Mm-hmm. I had bizarrely when I go skiing. <laughs> Oh, just it's funny you used like, to say that. <laughs> yeah, flying down a slope, it's strange. I suddenly just feel like you're one with everything. And if there's a moment of yeah. nervousness, I can even hear this voice and it's very deep. It's almost like a gentle whisper rumbling that says, oh, just do this, just do this. It's almost mm, really like a sense mm. of intuition. Um, so you said wow. it's uh, funny I sent that. What, what came up for you?
0: Oh, well, yeah. Well, it's interesting that you, you mentioned that because I'm writing a new book at the moment on um, experiences of timelessness or experiences of expansive yeah. time. And I've got a chapter on sporting experiences of time expansion and timelessness. And the, I, I use some, some quotes from skiers. So I think it's probably right. not an uncommon experience in skiers, you know, that, that feeling of oneness and that feeling that everything you do, something's guiding you in the right direction and protecting you,
1: even. So, yes, yeah, beautiful sense. Of I've flow. never been skiing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd recommend it. I really would recommend it. But there is a sense of flow because you it's, you ski so much better when you just go into that flow state. So you can yeah. be in that heightened, yeah. there's adrenaline, and there's a little bit of there's anxiety because you are hurtling down a mountain on two pieces of wood, um, and then suddenly it's just bliss, just just you know, timelessness is a good description where you just be, feel like you're everything. And then there's this voice that wow. seems to be guiding you gently. Yeah, so it's it is a beautiful state.
0: Yeah, it sounds sounds wonderful. Yeah. I, I mean I, I have, like I say, I've never been skiing, but I've had similar experiences with different sporting mm-hmm. activities. I'm you know, I really love playing sport and I play tennis and go swimming and go running. And sometimes, sometimes even playing tennis, you know, it's it's quite strange. I love to play tennis outdoors, you know, in the park, yeah. surrounded by nature. And sometimes there's a similar feeling that, you know, whatever you do is sort of, some, occasionally it just seems to be natural and spontaneous and perfect. And there's a feeling of oneness with your body and with your actions and with, the, with, with your surroundings, with my surroundings. I also love to swim outdoors. Um, so a couple, a couple of weeks ago, we went to the Lake District and went swimming in, in Grasmere, surrounded okay. by beautiful scenery. And it was a really blissful experience of feeling of oneness with the water, feeling of natural, natural mindfulness, I guess you'd call it. You know, there's no, you know, you don't make an effort to be mindful, but it's just you are just naturally in a state of presence because it's so beautiful and you feel so you, you know, there's a a feeling of union with the water and, and nature.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of um, I interviewed uh, Jake Eagle. Who did the book "The Power of Awe? And he talks about microdosing mindfulness. It's those little yeah. moments of pure bliss that you just get in in moments like that. And he he talks about the the impact that has on our uh, physiology, um, and the, the benefits mentally and physically. What what you know? Why would someone want to be awakened? I know it sounds quite amazing to be connected and to feel like you're one with everything um, but why would someone hmm. want is that something that I'm trying to get a good question here in regards to how easy is that to do and is it something that someone would want to do regularly is that a good thing? Well I mean
0: I think it's natural to to a large degree I think there is an impulse in all living beings to to grow not just physically but psychologically or inwardly, you know, and, and awakening experiences are part of uh, our development, you know, and, and, and awakening is not just an experience. It's also a developmental process. It's a journey, a journey of awakening. So, so individual awakening experiences are part of the whole journey of awakening. And I think it's a kind of evolution. The whole of evolution is about growth. It's about expansion, um, moving towards increased, awareness, increased complexity, and I think our own our own individual spiritual journey is part of that too. That's why it often feels very natural for people to embark on some kind of spiritual or personal developmental journey, because it's part of that whole evolutionary process that's, that life has, you know, life has been part of that process for millions of years. So it feels, and that's, that's why it feels so natural. And also, um, well, I think we know intuitively that there is something not quite right about the our normal experience of the world. You know, it's, it's not
1: mm.
0: it's not quite right for human beings to live in a state of psychological discord. You know, most most of us live in a state of some degree of psychological discord. You know, a feeling of like restless, inner restlessness and unease, a feeling that something's not quite right. You know, and I think we all we all sense that that this is not the end of the story. There, there is a, there is a you know we do have a, a potential we do have the p- potential to attain a state of harmony, or at least to move move beyond our discord and suffering. So I think, you know, many, many people spend their lives kind of escaping from the inner discord, you know, living in a state of constant activity or distraction. But I think many people do feel a strong impulse to transcend that state through, you know, spiritual awakening. Hmm.
1: I think you're right. I do think people get a sense that there's something not quite right if they're not. I think the wrong word is disconnected, or their connection is weakened, where they're too distracted, they're over focused on, you know, materialism, extrinsic values. Um, what do you think is, what do you think is going on to prevent people from feeling more connected, to to having more in a way of awakening experiences? That's a good question. I think
0: you know these experiences are not particularly so particularly socially accepted. You know, mm. we we brought up, we are all brought up with a certain degree of social conditioning, and our social conditioning tells us that you know we need to be active, uh, we need to be, we need to accumulate possessions, uh, we need to accumulate success, and so forth, and uh, we need to if we if we want to seek happiness, the best way to seek happiness is through that process of accumulation and also by giving ourselves as many doses of pleasure as we can (laughs) through food or substances or through distractions and entertainments, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't really work as a long-term strategy for happiness. So, so if you want to, if you want to discover real happiness, you've got to go, you've got to first discover that those processes don't work. It doesn't work. You know, there's no connection between money and happiness beyond a certain basic point anyway. And beyond a certain point, Entertainments and fun and pleasure, it bring it brings a, a certain degree of uh, enjoyment, but it doesn't it doesn't bring lasting happiness. But you first got to go through that. Go, you got to sort of undo that social conditioning, I think, before you realize that happiness lies in more, you know, in 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 other pursuits.
1: I think that's a a great answer. And if someone starts to experience being awakened out of these pursuits, so they. You know, they begin to explore and they have a moment of feeling connected and oneness and experiencing, you know, consciousness in a very different way. Um, Is that something then that repeats itself or is it something that they have to work at? What what advice would you give to someone who's seeking to be awakened, basically? Well, it's it's both of those things, really. It's a
0: once it does, um, once it begins, it has its own momentum. And once you have that experience, it's it's so profound and powerful that you want to go back there. You know, it's like mm. once you glimpse beauty and you know that beauty lies in a certain place, you always return there, you know. So that that's one thing. Um but also like like as I said before, i think you know, deep down, most people probably feel this impulse towards personal growth, towards transcending their their state their normal state of discord and unease so what once you attune to that process then it grows you know it, once it manifests itself it never you know it's always there you can't cover it up again you know it it, it flourishes once you, as soon as you uncover it it begins to flourish mm. and it has its own momentum which takes you further
1: so what would you say to someone what would be besides like meditation being in nature is that the sort of thing that uh, you'd advise someone to keep up with their you know awakening or is there something else that they could begin to to become more aware of or focus on meditation you know is is a
0: great way of inducing individual awakening experiences mm-hmm. and also a great way of cultivating ongoing wakefulness in the long term But there were lots of other practices besides meditation itself. And some of the things we've mentioned as well, contact with nature is a really powerful um, method of inducing awakening. I think there's a certain stillness within nature that we naturally attune to when we are in the midst of it. And we feel this natural connection and our sense of separation begins Mm -hmm. to fade away. But also service and altruism, you know every spiritual tradition recommends altruism and service as a as, as an important aspect of their of their developmental system so yeah I, I often i often um recommend that people should consciously practice altruism and service you know, because yeah. when you practice altruism and service you feel a natural connection to other people it's another way of transcending your your selfishness and separateness and you you seem to attune to something bigger than yourself. You know, it, maybe it's even the uh, that fundamental spirit or consciousness we mentioned earlier. Mm. I think altruism and service attune you to that deep part of your nature, which you share with others. And, you know, I, I personally think that exercise is a great way of cultivating spirituality too. You know, because so, some spiritual traditions have a, a rather negative attitude to the body. They see the body as a kind of, a vehicle or even as a kind of enemy but you know the, the body is an expression of of spirits you know it's it's pervaded with with spirit so you know physical exercise helps us to attune to to the body's spiritual nature and it cultivates mm-hmm. inner harmony
1: I love that. Well, I exercise quite a lot. So I'm all for that. So (laughs) as my listeners know, uh, I talk about it quite a lot. And uh, I do, you do feel, especially when I go running, I swim. um, you, You do get that, you know, so I can relate to what you were saying. It's especially when you're running and even just certain types of music just seem to trigger this sudden euphoric feeling. Uh, where you just yeah you can have these amazing yeah. insights and you can, it just it just feels beautiful and I just think I can't get it, it can't get any better than this sometimes when I'm running yeah especially on a sunny I know day. exactly
0: what you mean especially <laughs> on a, a beautiful morning you know, running in the park yeah. on a be, or you know in in nature on a beautiful sunny morning I think a lot of it is that I mean all of the all of these activities have a mind quietening effect they help to slow down our thoughts they turn our attention away from our thoughts I think. The thought mind, you know, is a source of a lot of the suffering we experience and attuning to your body takes you away from the thought mind and brings you into oneness with your body. And, yeah, it's a, it's a great way of transcending all the, all the suffering which our minds create.
1: No, I agree with that. And do you, if, 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 just, just from what you just said, it re- brings to mind a documentary I saw recently called How to Change Your Mind. Uh, it was talking about psilocybin. And how uh, people on psilocybin had had their default mode network dissolved, if you like, which seems mm. to house the ego. And when that dissolves, the the common experience was to fill it one with everything. Have you looked? Have you looked yeah. more into that? I'm guessing that's part of um, flow states and uh, awakening. Or yeah, was... yeah.
0: I mean that that's essentially that's a kind of neurological way of describing mm. what happens in meditation or in the kind of exercises we've just discussed. But yeah, psychedelics is one way of experiencing that too. I mean, it is is—it is quite, it's quite difficult to ent- identify uh, the neurological correlates of any psychological experiences really, but that seems to be what what's suggesting, that they're suggesting that the ego dissolves away. But um, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm aware of a lot of the, the positive research which is going on into psychedelics. And I know, I mean, I've, don't tell my kids but a long time ago i experienced i experimented with psychedelics too <laughs> okay um and and i had i had some i had some positive experiences which were helpful i know a lot of the people who've been helped by these experiences but i mean i don't think psychedelics are a, a kind of a, offer a route towards awakening you know mm. you, you can't use them as a, a spiritual a regular spiritual practice in the in the same way that you use meditation you could try but i think there
1: are certain risks that come with psychedelics just a quick break to say I am so excited to announce a brand new podcast channel to help you transform your life in ways you might not yet be able to imagine. 2023, we are kicking your ass. Now this is a channel of experimental content I know you are going to love. Now mindset change another level has exclusive deeper subconscious training meditations to help you upgrade your long overdue programs that are holding you back in life. You also get searchable meditations without ads, intros and outros so you can find your favorites super easily. You get access to masterminds to help take your mindset change to another level and you get to engage with me in a whole new way. And as a thank you for supporting the new channel, you get discounts from my group workshops too. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes and come and join. Oh, and feel free to come and join my WhatsApp community too. I can't wait to welcome you. You know, obviously, as you you, talk, you talked about your kids, when you um, obviously, as you were, you know, studying, you know, you're a psychology lecturer you're a teacher um when you had children obviously you've got a family now is that something that can take you away from being awakened you know because i work with a lot of parents in the anxiety side of things and the lack of sleep and the, you know just you know normal parenting yeah. it can be quite stressful so what's it been like for you and mm. and awaken well, being awakened and having mm. children what's that like Interesting question, because um, yeah, I mean,
0: in a lot of spiritual traditions, people are encouraged to be celibate because not just for the you know to to conserve their sexual energy, but because having a family takes their attention away from spiritual development. Wow. But I, but I think um, for me personally, it was actually it actually contributed to my spiritual development quite significantly. I mean, obviously, it was difficult to find time to meditate. Obviously, there was a lack of sleep, and it was difficult to find time to to write my books and so forth. Mm. But in a a way, you know, um, being a parent, it's all about altruism. You you couldn't be more altruistic than a a parent who wakes up at four in the morning to tend to their baby and devotes their whole life to service towards their children. So it's a path of altruism. And as I said before, altruism is a a very important Mm. spiritual practice. But other things as well. One i one thing I gained from having children was, you know, what? mindfulness, because young children are always mindful. They live in a state of presence. They are just naturally mindful. So when you have young children, you're 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 encouraged to be mindful mm-hmm. along with them. You know, when you play with your kids, you you're in a state of mindfulness. You forget all of your thought activity, all of your concerns and worries, and and you slow down because you know, children are. Young children walk very slowly they veer off in all kinds of directions so Mm -hmm. you're forced to to be in the moment along with them you're forced to slow down and be present so so for me it was um you know it 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 was helpful
1: in that that. in those senses yeah i love that answer and how they as they were growing up did they kind of challenge your work did they how do they feel about um your awaken, you know, your your awakening philosophy, beliefs? uh do they say, Don't try um, that awakening uh, stuff on me, dad? You know, I don't want to, I'm not interested. <laughs> you know, so in resistance. <laughs> <laughs> um
0: a little bit in in a jokey way, they say, Oh, yeah. don't be so spiritual dad, you know. Um so children you know, they're they're naturally a little bit rebellious and teenagers anyway, they, they become mm-hmm. a bit rebellious and as a part of creating their own identity. Um but now that my kids are a bit older, they've they've kind of naturally developed an interest in these things. My, my son is studying psychology and they mm. you know they've started to ask me questions about meditation, but why I do it and why I feel it's helpful. Um and we you know we brought them up to to do the things we talked about. We brought them up to be very sporty and to enjoy contact with nature. So I think they they you know they gain Without realizing they gain sort of spiritual benefits from these things. But anyway, ah, if I told them yeah. that, then they may not do them anymore. But
1: Okay, don't let listen to this podcast episode then. It was it didn't, it doesn't <laughs> exist. Um so uh, what I wanted then to move on to was you you know, we're looking at your obviously your children have been quite receptive uh by the signs of things. Um do you have a new book coming out? um about and it's called disconnected is it out now your book disconnected is it it is out yeah it came out uh, yeah. a few weeks ago lovely uh congratulations how's it doing are you, are you pleased
0: seems to be doing okay yeah i've not seen yeah. any reviews yet but i've had some good uh, responses from people
1: brilliant brilliant Can you tell me a little bit more about this, about this book? Because I was reading, um, I've not had a chance to read it because I contacted you literally just a few days ago and magically you're here already. So, um, but I've been having a look and I think it's such a timely book for the day and age we are living in. So can you tell me a little bit more about what the the book premise is and, and why, especially, you know, my listeners should be definitely going out and buying this book.
0: It's um, it's my attempt to explain human behavior. Really, it's, it's my attempt, attempt to explain why human beings, you know, differ so much in their behavior. We, we can be sometimes we can be incredibly cruel and brutal and violent. Other times, other people can be incredibly kind and compassionate. So I want you to understand the extremes or this this entire spectrum of of human nature. So I had a model which I call which I called the continuum of connection, and the book kind of covers the whole continuum. It begins with people who are extremely disconnected, people who are you know, living at, at, the, at the kind of in the polar opposite state to, to spirituality, in that they are completely disconnected from nature, from other human beings, even completely disconnected from their own bodies. You know, they have these mm. incredibly strong and and solid egos which separate them from the world. And because they're so separate, they, they don't have empathy. So their lack of empathy permits them to be cruel and manipulative and exploitative. So I explain, you know, the, the cruelty and oppression which human beings are capable of in those terms. And I've got a few chapters where I, explain, where I explain how these people, who I call them hyper-disconnected, the people who have no empathy towards others, I call them hyper-disconnected people and i explain you know why they are drawn to power they are drawn to positions of power in society particularly in politics so mm. if you look at, if you look at you know politicians you you find many examples or some examples at least of these hyper disconnected people with psychopathic or
1: narcissistic traits are we talking about the other sorry sorry are we, on. Are, are, yeah are we talking trump and putin as in great examples of this um, yeah. Just just two people that literally are they're very dominant in the news these days. Uh, is, yes. that, is that an example? Yeah, they are quite extreme examples. But even in here in the UK where I
0: live, you know, there are many examples in the UK government. You know, Boris Johnson is a good example, um, but also several members of the the, the Conservative government's cabinet are obviously people with narcissistic and psychopathic traits unfortunately. But yeah, these people are drawn to yeah. power like moths to a flame.
1: Why is that? Um, What's going on for them? It's because,
0: because they are so separate, because they are so disconnected. They feel a sense of incompleteness, a, a feeling of lack, as if there's something mm. desperately missing from them. So they feel this compensatory impulse to accumulate power, success or wealth, just to compensate for their their sense of lack. They're trying to sort of complete themselves by accumulating power and wealth. And it doesn't work. You know, no matter how much wealth or power, they they gain, they never feel satisfied. So they continually grasp for more and more. And uh, in usually in ever more destructive
1: ways. And why so do that, you think that's, that's so the reason popular why? What? Yeah, what do you think? Why do you think they're so popular though? That's the well, you know, it's it's myst, myst, mystifying for me. It's like Boris Johnson, Putin, you know, Trump. These are people that, are, mm, you know, lots of people really have a lot of time for. Um, that's true for me. I find it's a bit it alien, is mystifying. But what do you think is going on? Yeah, what do you think's going on? It is mystifying, but
0: because these people are so disconnected uh, and because of their narcissistic and psychopathic traits. Mm-hmm. They lack normal human emotions like well, like we we mentioned empathy, but also emotions like guilt. Um, mm-hmm. They they don't feel fear or nervousness, uh, so they they project a, a sense of strength, which is kind of illusory. But they project it because they don't have these emotions. So people, ordinary people who do feel inhibitions and who do feel guilt and embarrassment and fear, they look at these people and think, "Wow, you know, I wish I was like him." And they they also. Project charisma. They use their charisma as a way of manipulating people. um Again, it comes from their their lack of fear, their lack of nervousness, and and their desire to manipulate people. But because they they because they present themselves as powerful figures, powerful paternal mm-hmm. figures, they appeal. I think they appeal to an, an impulse in, in some people to return to a kind of childlike state where you where you, when your parents took responsibility for your life and protected you from the world and took care of everything. I call that the abdication syndrome. It it operates the abdication syndrome. It it operates in some spiritual communities with cult leaders and fake gurus, but also in politics, too, with people like Mm. Trump or with Putin, also with Hitler and Stalin um, decades ago. It's it's the same syndrome.
1: No, it's, it's just a fascinating subject. Um, and because what's the you know these people are quite disconnected, but what's the cost? you know it's to, I guess what to never feel satisfied, what you know what else, what are, what other costs are there that comes from a lack of connection? For them, the cost is that they, as you say, they never
0: feel satisfied. Mm-hmm. They don't have they can't have real human relationships because real human relationships obviously stem from empathy and compassion, Mm. and trust, and connection. So these people can't have those emotions. So there's a kind of emotional void inside these people because they have no connection to others. And and also, they can't experience real happiness because I I suggest in the book that all all the moments of happiness that we human beings experience are related to connection. They're related Mm. to connection to nature, connection to other people, uh, and also connection to our own deeper self or connection to a, a certain activity, which brings a state of flow. Um, but because they, these people are so separate, they can't experience those moments of happiness. So they live in a, a state of continual frustration and emptiness, which manifests itself in ever more destructive behavior. That, that's why there's, there's a terrible destructiveness at the heart of these people. You know, There's a terrible destructiveness at, at the heart of people like Trump and Putin they just, you know, fundamentally, they just want to create chaos and destruction because they're,
1: you know, I think fundamentally they're so frustrated. Um, I do think that's, because we, we are witnessing, and I'm an eternal optimist, so I sometimes I think these things are, are happening to people, so they're going into almost like crisis mode, they're getting very angry, they're getting frustrated, there's mental health issues on the rise, you know, it can look very bleak uh, if we looked at it in, in, in that way. Um But going back to the waking up side of things, do you think a lot of people are going through what it can be a quite a dark time for themselves because it's those crisis Mm. points which can begin to wake Mm. them up?
0: That's right. I mean, this this is the the kind of the the other part of my new book that there is a a process of connection as well. Mm. And I think there is a process of connection underway in the world in the midst of, despite all of the, the terrible things and all the crises which are occurring, or maybe even because of these crises. Um yeah I mean when, when one of the areas areas which I've researched as a psychologist is the the transformational power of crisis um you know the transformational power of psychological turmoil and trauma mm-hmm. and it, it is when people go through crises in their life in their lives that's when they undergo significant growth and sometimes sometimes when our lives are running smoothly and comfortably we switch off, we, we sort of lull ourselves into a state of sleep. So we need challenges and crises to, to wake us up sometimes. We need challenges and crises to, to burrow down into ourselves and find our deep resources of resilience and, and inner confidence. So, you know, I think the crises that we're facing now could be having, you know, collectively having that kind of effect.
1: Yeah, I wonder. You know, if we go from the theory that life is happening for us, not to us, um, mm, and that mm. this, is, this is whatever it appears to be is for our highest good, if we went down that line, so I'm wondering if this is just a way to create a collective wake, you know, awakening because people are that getting that fed up with their current circumstances and lives. So you can see the anger in, mm. you know, the way that people are protesting these days, like just Stop oil, for example um and the way that they're you yeah know, upsetting other people there's this, these battles uh and i find a psychology around that quite fascinating but i think it all leads towards maybe people develop you know connecting with themselves to find out what they can do to solve what it is that they're going through and that works collectively yeah. too
0: maybe i think that's right i think there is a, a collective ever-increasing dissatisfaction with you know our cultural paradigm or with the you know the the cultural conditioning of our society i mean mm. i think fundamentally it's it's a dissatisfaction with the materialist paradigm of our society which you know which tells us that natural things are just there to be exploited and and that the purpose of life is just to to survive and enjoy ourselves or become successful fundamentally it's it's the view that human beings are just purely physical objects you know it doesn't really matter because mm. we are born by accident and after a, few, after a number of years, we're going to die and be nothing forevermore. So it doesn't really matter what happens while we're here. We just we can just enjoy ourselves and try to take as much from the world as we can. But I think people are realizing now that that paradigm is totally destructive, it's nihilistic, and it doesn't lead to any happiness. Um, so I think in, in a variety of ways, people are exploring different ways of different worldviews mm. and different
1: activities that, that question the values that we live by. Yeah, and I think with the explosion of social media, even though it has its dark side, is that people are being more exposed to more than ever the idea of waking up and what it could do mm. for them. Something I, I forgot to mention earlier with you, and I said I would mention it, is I, the, the more I feel connected, the more I go into flow state. So when I'm writing, when I'm meditating, when I'm exercising, the, the bizarre thing that seems to happen with that are the synchronicities which seem to flow into my life where, like, for example, um, I found my attic is being taken down. Um, I found your books because I put them up there for safe storage. And I thought he'd be great to come onto the show. Within a few days, you're actually here. And we were having this great conversation. And... Mm-hmm. um You know, it's this like synchronicity of I've been exploring more than ever the idea of waking up. And actually, I've got one of the world's best people to talk about it to here now. Um, Is this something that you've experienced? Do you you know, you know, is there like I've talked to a few authors about this before, but is this something that you've experienced with synchronicity? The more you're in flow, the more you're in awakened?
0: Yeah, I used to. Um, I used to know a psychologist. It was a guy called David Fontana, who was a you know quite a well-known author. Maybe 50, I think he died about fifteen years ago. But he used to say that if you meditate for an hour a day every morning, synchronicities will happen. You know, your life will be full of synchronicities. I think that's true. You know, when I'm in flow, when I'm meditating regularly and, and feel most attuned to myself, yeah, I, I notice a lot more synchronicities. And it is, you know, I think it goes back to connection. I think, you know, synchronicities are really just a a sign that everything is interconnected. Synchronicities are just evidence of Mm. the fundamental interconnection of everything. But I think you've got to be connected to your own essential nature. You've got to be, rather than your sort of ego mind, you've got to be attuned to your essential nature to experience those synchronicities. synchronicities. Mm. Synchronicities—I mean, they, they will probably happen anyway, but I think they will happen more more regularly um, in a state of attunement.
1: Yeah, and I I think even when there appears to be something going wrong, it's interesting how suddenly there's a synchronicity that links to taking you in a different direction than the path that you were going to take. So there's like an obstacle, and you're like, why is that Mm. there? And suddenly you can see why it's there when something even more profound or even better is going to take place that would would benefit you. So I find, as I said, I find the whole yeah. thing quite fascinating how it's like even anything mm. that appears to be a block seems to be a way forward.
0: That's right. It It is almost as if something's giving you a hint to go in a certain direction or not to go in a certain direction. And I, I sometimes I've had that feeling, you know, with, with strange coincidences or, or, or synchronicities, there's a feeling that accompanies accompanies them. It's like, you know, this is a reminder. This is a reminder mm. that everything is interconnected. Yeah. This is a reminder that you're on the right path. I just, I get that feeling quite, mm. quite strongly sometimes.
1: You know, as if it's coming yeah. from somewhere deep inside me. Did you have that feeling? Yeah, that is, is I could, exactly that. It's just like, you're on the right path. You're on the right path. And the one time I doubted it, I was, I was, uh, I, was this is, I wasn't skiing at the time, but I had just come down a slope. And I had a, a most amazingly strong feeling that someone I knew was near me. So I was looking around and I was thinking, where are they? And it was so overwhelming. And I was thinking, I, why am I getting this really wrong? I can't even see them. So anyway, I, I ended up going thinking I, I, I'm going to give up on this. So ended up going up a slope, coming back down. And then when I got to the bottom, uh, one of my friends came up and said, I was trying to get your attention. I could see you looking around for me. But, um, (laughs) you know, they they were waving. But for some reason, I didn't see Mm. them. Um, And I took from that that, that, to trust that feeling. I, I might not have seen them physically, but they were there. They were there trying to get yeah. my attention. You know, mm. It was a strange thing.
0: I, I also think that these experiences they, they veer into sort of psychic experiences almost. They they, they veer into a kind of telepathy, you mm. know. So, I'm I'm quite interested in psi phenomena, and I, you know, there is a lot of evidence. I think there is incontrovertible evidence that phenomena like telepathy and precognition exist. So I think uh, synchronicity is not... sometimes the result of, you know, yeah. a kind of telepathic connection between two people.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of information about that. And you've opened up a whole can of worms now. But unfortunately, as I said, I don't keep you here for this long. Um, <laughs> damn it. I'm joking. Um, we'll have to have you back to talk about this a bit further. Maybe Is that, an, is that a topic of a, maybe another book for you then, Steve? Uh, well,
0: I did write about it. <laughs> I wrote a book called Spiritual Science, which was published maybe five years, four years ago, okay. where I, I talked about psi phenomena. And um, yeah, it's kind of an ongoing interest of mine. And uh, I think yeah, well, I think there was that, growing I... acceptance of uh, of these phenomena because the evidence yeah. is sort of you know so you know more and more experiments are being conduct- conducted in very kind of rigorous um, laboratory settings and they're having positive results. So
1: yeah, well, I, I am think going to look into that further. It's
0: part of the kind of changing paradigm where people are more open to these these anomalous
1: experiences. Amazing. Amazing. That is that is definitely something I have to look into. Steve, you've been absolute gold. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Your book, Disconnected, is out now. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. But if people wanted to find out more about your work, where can they go to? The best
0: place is my website, which is stephenmtaylor.com. That's Stephen with a V, M for Mark, stephenmtaylor.com. Um, so I've got links to my social media pages and there are lots of poems and articles and uh, I also have a podcast
1: which you can get access to through my website. So that's the best place, Brilliant. I think. Brilliant. Um, I should have got you to read some of your poetry yeah, on books. here. I was listening to you online. Yeah, it's so good. It really is. It, it's almost like a meditation, just listening to you, um, you know, read your poetry because it doesn't rhyme, but it's, it, I, you, you talk about that, but it's, there's something that it seems to touch deep inside when you're just listening to those words. That that is quite profound.
0: Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I, I get a lot of ideas for poems when I when I go running. Actually, running or swimming. You know, my mind my mind empties and phrases or lines pop into my head. Mm. So they they seem to come from a mysterious place.
1: Well, um, I will put the links to all your work in the show notes. Um, I hope you have a brilliant rest of the day. And uh, to anyone listening, uh, thank you for listening. And I'll connect with you again soon. Thanks, Steve. Great. Thanks, Paul. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Steve Taylor about waking up. If you want more content like this, then please do subscribe to the show. And any reviews and shares are deeply appreciated. Remember, do your best to wake up, stay awake and aware and have the most incredible day.